Listener Production. Hello. In this episode of The Briefing, Jan Fran will join you as we reveal that the forever chemicals PFAS have been found in sustainable or so-called sustainable takeaway products like bamboo straws, containers and cutlery. So these are the so-called forever chemicals which never break down. They can last for thousands of years in our soils and waterways and high exposure in humans has been linked to all kinds of really bad health conditions like uh, kidney disease, thyroid disease, testicular cancer, low birth weight and infertility, just to name a few. Yeah, and we started looking into PFAS here on The Briefing in April. Our investigative reporter, Claire Weaver, um, tested several cosmetic products for PFAS and found them in two out of six um, of these cosmetic products. And those companies actually then went on to change their products. So that was a really interesting bit of investigation. And now they've been found in supposedly eco-sustainable takeaway packaging. And these are the products that are being brought in to replace other plastics So to then find PFAS in these plastic replacement products is a massive problem. So that is our briefing. Um, First, here are the big news stories of the day. It is Monday, the 4th of September. A fresh news poll on The Voice is showing the no vote has gained a majority 53% of support, while the yes campaign has fallen to 38%. The only age group with a majority in support of a voice is 18 to 34-year-olds. And Anthony Albanese's personal approval has gone negative for his first time as PM. It's down to 46%. And the big news from The Voice yesterday was this... Yes, that uh, iconic Australian song, John Farnham's You're the Voice uh, from 1986 is being used in the referendum's Yes campaign in their ad, which goes through all these amazing unifying moments like the 1967 referendum, Cathy Freeman um, winning gold at the Sydney Olympics. Uh, And John Farnham has released a short statement saying that the song changed his life and he hoped that in some small way it could improve the lives of First Nations Australians. That's, a, I think, a beautiful gesture and it is an epic song, possibly, mm. you know, along with horses, <laughs> potentially our unofficial national anthem. Yeah. Uh, but the opposition has hit back, though, with a pretty sharp line. He's the leader of the Nationals, David Littleproud. Well, it goes to a very line in that you're the voice, try to understand it. And in fact, Australians don't understand it. Ooh, yeah, big hit there. But I think that that song is, is going to be good for the campaign. Australians love that song and it sort of implores people to to band together and, and to stand up. Um, how much difference mm. it will make, I guess we'll never know exactly, but it's still looking really tough for the voice campaign to get up. And the other really big news about the voice is that Peter Dutton has come out saying he's in support of a second referendum if the first one fails. Now, this is the first time we've heard this from him. Um, he says he'll hold one if the opposition wins government. This referendum would be for constitutional recognition, which he has always said is the right thing to do and much less divisive than a voice to parliament. But Indigenous leaders are already saying that's actually not going to achieve anything meaningful and it'll just kick the can down the road. 
And the controversy over the government's decision to block the Qatar Airways expansion has gone to another level, and that's because Flight Centre has launched a national advertising campaign with full-page newspaper ads calling on the federal government to overturn the decision, saying, more seats drives down prices, let them fly. And the other thing that will hurt the Albanese government is that the Queensland acting Labor Premier, Stephen Miles, has also backed the ad. He said that he shared the sentiment of Flight Centre because more Qatar flights would boost Queensland tourism. And the South Australian government has also released a statement essentially backing the call. Yeah, so all of this adds to another very important Labor voice, the former Treasurer Wayne Swan, who's now the Labor National President. He's called for the decision to be reviewed. Now, Qatar Airways really uh, made its way into the hearts of a lot of South Australians, particularly during COVID. It played a really big role during the pandemic, repatriating South Australians back to Australia. It also transported cargo back to South Australia to maintain agricultural supply. Uh, By contrast, um, Qantas cancelled its direct Adelaide to Singapore flights back in 2013 and the South Australian government has been calling on Qantas to reinstate international flights to its state ever since. Mm. Yeah, this will be a red-hot issue in Parliament question time because we're back into two sitting weeks in Canberra. So expect to hear more on this and maybe even a, a bit of a backflip here. Who knows? The federal government's closing loopholes bill is entering parliament today and that seeks to create minimum standards for gig workers and also criminalise wage theft. These laws will force companies with more than 15 workers to pay labour hire staff the same wages as those under enterprise agreements. And the Workplace Relations Minister Tony Burke says closing this loophole will change the lives of around 70,000 workers. Yeah, and they're also wanting to bring in much bigger penalties for wage theft or underpayment, um, including jail terms of up to 10 years for executives and fines of over $7 million. And there's a nightmare unfolding at the Burning Man Festival. Tens of thousands of festival goers are trapped on the big player, the big um, desert plain, as rain continues to flood the site. So it's covered in thick mud. Um, Many attendees are going barefoot. I mean, they probably were already, but the real problem is people can't get in or out of the site. Um, There's an investigation of one death already, and there's more rain to come as the festival's supposed to end over the next 24 hours, and these around 60,000 people are trying to get out of the site. Yeah, I mean, this is being compared to the fire festival, um, possibly splendor in the mud on an even bigger scale. <laughs> there was, uh, TikTok videos going around of, um, celebrities like comedian Chris Rock. He had to hike eight kilometers through this mud. Wow. And to give you some context, this, this mud, it's not just regular mud like at splendor. It's kind of like thick clay. And that's why people are having to wrap their feet in garbage bags because otherwise this clay solidifies around their feet and becomes kind of like concrete boots. So Chris Rock hiked for eight Ks and eventually had to hitch a, a lift out of there. Um, Australian Idol winner Casey Donovan, she's stuck there as well. And she's mm. been uploading videos to her social channels. So yeah, Burning Man is meant to be pretty fun and organic, um, but this is a lot more organic than I think anyone bargained for. <laughs> wow, this will be blowing up online as these videos keep coming out because it's it's one of those festivals that sparks a big reaction from people. You know, some people are jealous. They wish they were there. 
some people are kind of a bit disgusted and shocked by some of the, the antics <laughs> that go on at Burning Man. There's also a bit of jealousy. There's a lot of like really famous, wealthy Americans that, that go in and rough it in their big fancy RVs. So, you know, a bit of schadenfreude out there, I imagine, as these videos start to flood your feed. I only hope that um, whatever toilet facilities they've got in place are going to last the distance until that mud dries and they can get the cars in and out. That's mm. all I'm thinking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you wish those toilet facilities work well. I, I'm sure you do. Um, <laughs> all right. Jan Fran will be with you in a sec to talk PFAS in so-called sustainable takeaway products. Hi, it's Jan Fran. I want you to imagine that you've ordered some takeaway. Lots of people do it all the time. Your meal arrives in what looks like sustainable packaging. It's made from bamboo or paper. And you feel pretty good about that. Why wouldn't you? No more plastic straws or tubs or cutlery to destroy the environment. But there's one problem, and it is an invisible problem. And it's going to last longer than you or me and definitely the takeaway you've just ordered. Research shows that potentially harmful chemicals known as PFAS are found in these so-called biodegradable products. David Springer is the commercial manager at EnviroLab Group. So they test products and environments for chemical contamination. David, welcome to the briefing. I know that you've done some testing on a lot of these eco-friendly packaging products, and we're going to get to some of those results in a second. But first, can you just give us an idea of what are PFAS and why would they even be used in these eco-friendly packaging products in the first place? Yeah, thanks, Jan. Well, PFAS are a group of over 4,000 synthetic or man-made chemicals. And so they're ubiquitous in the environment, meaning that they're basically found everywhere. So you'll find PFAS in, you know, polar bears' blood um, everywhere in the world. And because they don't break down in the environment, industry has taken the um, the term forever chemicals use. So it, it's quite a good term. They are a forever chemical. And we all have PFAS in our blood. For example, I have six parts per billion of PFOS in my blood. I'm just an everyday person and I've just got that from everyday living. And that could be including using general consumer goods, basically, Right. Why? I mean, there must be some benefit to having these chemicals in the consumer goods. Do they make them sturdier or nicer to touch? What What is the, the alleged sure. benefit here? Yeah, so they're used in these consumer goods, in these um, paper packaging goods for their water-resistant qualities. So if you think of a... Um, you go off to a, uh, a restaurant and you might have some leftovers and they might give that to you in a paper packaging bowl you don't want that leaking through the bowl. So they have water-resistant qualities. Uh, they're also very good at fat resistance as well. So that's where they will come into um, pizza boxes or things like popcorn containers. Okay, so you've done a bit of testing in your lab of certain biodegradable products. Talk us through which products you tested, how you did that and what some of the results were. We have done a number of testing for um 
various organisations and also just for our own benefit. If we come across a, a product in a takeaway, we'll often just grab that and do some of our testing ourselves. So we do that by a technique called LCMSMS, a scientific instrument which is determining the PFAS levels in those products. Now, we're finding those uh, mostly in the waxy sort of paper products, again, stopping the, um, the liquid coming through, and the levels vary. So some have been quite positive. Other products, we don't find anything in there. So it's a little bit hit and miss, uh, but as a consumer, how do you know if your takeaway box is PFAS-free? Mm. I mean, that's a that's a good question. Do you have any indication roughly of how many products you're testing and the percentage of those products that have come up positive for PFAS? It's still an emerging area of testing. So th- there is not a lot of testing going on. A lot of the testing we have done here in our lab is basically for our own scientific interest, um, having a look at that. So there doesn't seem to be any regulations out there to, to have these paper packaging products tested, no guidelines, things like that. So it's a bit of an ad hoc project at the moment. Mm. And so when you talk about these particular products, can you give us an example of what one of them might be? Like would the average consumer know it? Is it a paper straw? Is it a bamboo plate? What is it exactly? It varies. Um, Some have PFAS and some don't. So there seems to be no... uh, way that you can tell. The average consumer wouldn't be able to tell unless you obviously you get it tested. So I'm not a toxicologist, but I can't imagine this to be a great issue with health. If you think about your takeaway container, your food's only in there for a few minutes or a drinking straw. It's in there for a couple of minutes before it's um, going into your mouth. So I don't think from a health point of view, it's too much of a problem. I'm more looking uh, further afield and thinking this is probably a problem for the environment because Mm. a lot of these products are marketed as being biodegradable and compostable. And certainly there have been studies done showing that these paper products are contributing to PFAS in compost and soils. Right. So when they're billed as being biodegradable and compostable, actually they're not at all because they've got these chemicals that last for many, many years after these products have been used. Is that correct? They'll last forever. And obviously, um, we all know Australia is a very um, poor nutrient. Uh, we've, we've got very poor nutrients in our soils. And as a country, we should be using composts and biosolids. Biosolids are the um, the remaining solids after sewage treatment. Now, these are these are very valuable products that should be using on agricultural land. But, you know, this is all a vicious circle. You're sort of, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So how might PFAS leach out of, say, paper straws or bamboo containers and packaging? They'll just leach out over time. And certainly when they're being composted, we then have the other issue as the paper products are breaking down. There could be situations in compost treatment areas if you combine heat and various other chemicals, uh, we could actually be opening up a whole new can of worms because there is a um, whole range of PFAS compounds that we don't measure in the laboratory. These are sort of known as hidden PFAS compounds. So by using heat 
and chemicals in a composting process, it's not out of the question that we are producing many, many more PFAS compounds than we actually know about. And why is this a problem? What's what's the problem if these chemicals leach into the soil or waterways or uh, I guess the air? As I mentioned, they're not breaking down, so these are these are with us forever. There are varying um, commentaries about health issues. Some of the issues that have come up have been uh, high cholesterol, uh, hyperactivity in kids, various cancers. And look, the whole world is just heading to a, um, you know, a greener, cleaner future. And I don't think any consumers want to be taking in and ingesting these chemicals. Well, you asked a very um, interesting question a little early on that I kind of want to come back to, which is how are consumers supposed to know that these chemicals exist in the products that they're buying? And the short answer is they don't really know because it's not labelled anywhere. That's correct. Now, we we have done some previous um, work, for example, on cosmetics. Now, we were looking for um, cosmetics just with a label that that had fluorine in there. And um, and again, varying results. Some cosmetics were high, some cosmetics were low, but at least they had a label on there and the consumers could see if there would be fluorine in there. Every paper, plate and um, straw that I've looked at has no consumer label on there. So it is a little bit of a problem, I think. So what's the way forward then? Because this is a particularly difficult area to regulate because I think it falls under a number of governmental banners. You know, it's partly science, it's partly environmental, it's partly sort of product-based. How do we move forward here? I think if Australia can um, come up with some guidance on this, some testing regime, so the consumers know. Um, but look, think it's not only just Australia. There are still countries in the world who are still producing PFAS and um, these are still going to be used in products. So while officially Australia isn't importing any PFAS products into the country, there are a lot of PFAS chemicals that are hidden in consumer goods that are obviously being imported. Mm, so what is your advice then to the consumer here as somebody who's tested these products and is across some of the chemicals that exist in them? What would your one tip be for consumers? Well, I, I would like to think that we could we could go back to um, products that are, you know, washable, not disposable products. Think about um, keep cups for coffee and things like that. But then I have in the back of my mind, well, what about microplastics? These these <laughs> plastic products will eventually break down. In 20 years' time, will microplastics be worse than PFAS? I, don't right. know. I hear people saying you should also drink from metal straws, but then there is uh, the possibility of ingesting certain heavy metals or whatever <laughs> it is that are related to metal straws. Yeah, it is quite uh, the conundrum. You just can't win. But if you did have to say something to um, consumers out there, I mean, what what would it be? There's probably no immediate health issue from drinking or eating out of these products. I would probably think composting is probably fine, but overall, we just don't know. That was David Springer, the manager at the Enviro Lab Group speaking there. And it's really interesting hearing him try to give advice to the consumer on this one, because it is really hard. Even if you were to switch to longer, more durable plastic products like keep cups, for example, there's the issue of microplastics. If you were to switch to metal straws, you might be looking at possibly ingesting heavy metals of some kind. Uh, It's a really, really complicated issue. And these products seem to sit in an ecosystem 
that is in many ways problematic. And I think the research is fledgling and has a way to go. Let's hope it heads in the right direction. Listener.